Hey, good evening, guys. How are you doing tonight, huh? It's good to see you here. If I haven't told you guys lately, you're my favorite service of the entire day. Yes, you are. You're my favorite service. It's good to see you here. Dave already mentioned in your flyer, in your program, there's a, a flyer that talks about our Care Reach Grow initiative as we close out 2015. We know that lots of people will be asking you for donations and to give to their causes. And there are lots of great causes uh, for which to give. I know as we close out uh, 2015, we have four initiatives here that we want you to pray about and, and pray that you would give a, a, a sacrificial and a generous gift uh, toward a care reach grow. One of those is helping people right here in our own church family. The other is uh, our Vancouver campus moving into its permanent facility. And we're so excited about that. The goal is for them to be in by uh, Christmas Eve this year. And uh, then, as you know, we're planting a church in Ecuador. I'm so excited about this. We have, uh, again, 200 to 250 children will be rescued out of poverty because of this. Just so excited about that. And then we've had a very special relationship with our, uh, our ministry team over in Italy led by Doug Valenzuela. Doug has been over there for 38 years and serving. And I can only imagine the difficulty and, and uh, the work that he has done over there. But because he and Dee have been so faithful over the years, they've seen God do some miraculous things. And so as we partner with them this year in helping them to purchase what really is a miraculous facility. I say that because the way the whole thing came about, it's just the hand of God. And it's, it's in a part of the city, and Doug will tell you a little bit about this. It's in probably the worst part of the city it could be in. It's the target area, and just how God has moved in this. And for us to be a part of this, it's just fantastic. And so I just encourage you, as we close out this year, to, to be a part of Care Reach Grow. Our goal this year is $250,000, so that's a lot of money. But we can do that. And I know as all of us pray together and all of us work together, we'll see that happen. Well, there are missionaries, and then there is the missionary, That's Doug Valenzuela. <laughs> and he hates that. to have an introduction. But listen, this is the greatest missionary of all missions. We wouldn't have most missionaries. This is, this is Abundant Life's greatest missionary in Italy. <laughs> Between 70 years and 65 years. Yes, between yes. 70. <laughs> yes. Now, we'll give the traditional uh, Italian greeting. Yes, we and, will. And the key is to always go right. So if you remember this, you always go right. Yeah, and keep your lips closed here. There you go. Uh, there you go. Thank you, George. You smell like garlic. You've had garlic or something. It is, his, after four services, Anne is extremely jealous now. So I'm, that's it. We're done for the day. Uh, anyway, buongiorno. And it's always good to be back at Abundant Life. And I'll tell you why. Because it seems like so many of, of you have already been over to either our camps uh, or, as George was saying, part of this new church we're starting, a festival that we've done. And many of you, many, many have come year after year as we have been working in Napoli. And so uh, these wonderful relationships are, are just extremely important to us. And uh, we just appreciate so much uh, the ministry and the vision and everything that we as Two different cultures, Italian and American, share together. And in fact, um, right now, we already had our services in Italy because they're nine hours ahead of us, of course. So it's like 
three in the morning for me when we just got in and the miraculous things taking place on both sides of the ocean and and you know, I know that you're talking about in these, uh, George even wrote me and said we're dealing with the various miracles in the book of John. And when, when you think of miracles and so on, we, as we were coming back, I mean, we just got back. And we're leaving in about a month. We're just here for a very, very short time. I hope to see many of you on Friday. But uh, we just got back and flying back from uh, Naples, Italy, here to the States. You know, we're coming uh, westward and uh, way up in the plane. And, you know, sometimes these pilots oftentimes give a ball, some icebreaker kind of a thing. And so we're in the Arizona area. And the pilot, Winslow, Arizona, I'll never forget, he, said, he even said so. And he says, a lady, you know how those pilots talk? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, look at the right side of your airplane and down below. And he says, there it was. It's called Crater National Park. Not Crater Lake National. I didn't even know it existed. Well, then he explains to us, see that big, from where we were, our vantage point of 30,000 feet. We're looking down there. And he says, uh, uh, I can't remember, 500 million years ago or something, an asteroid or a crater uh, flying down out of space at 24,000 miles an hour uh, 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 with an explosion of 4,000 times that of the atomic bomb. And, and then, of course, you can see it. Interstate 40 runs right by it, and you can get off it and see it if you want. And then, and then there's huge crater. It's a one mile uh, diameter crater, 500 feet deep, and you can see that. And uh, and it leaves this crater, and so on and so forth. And I'm, we're just amazed. And and again, the lady in front of us, she taps her husband and says, "Honey, what an amazing miracle!" And I'm, you know, I was thinking about miracles in the Bible and what George asked me to speak on, and. What was what's so str- what is it? Why would that be a miracle? And she says, and in fact, the husband said, "What kind of miracle are you talking about?" She says, "Isn't that a miracle that that crater just barely missed hitting the freeway?" <laughs> so, I know that you're very, very interested in miracles. In fact, as I, I, I this is just some of what I extrapolated from the internet. Deliverance Day, miracle in Maryland, and blah, blah, blah. And so you too, it seems to me like Americans are so uh, obsessed, desiring so much a miracle that uh, that's that's all we have, a miracle crusade here, a miracle crusade there. So I don't want to disappoint you. So you know what? You're going to get, I'm all dressed in my miracle suit, and uh, come on down and get you a miracle, but I want you to notice there is a $10 donation for each miracle. So depending on what kind of miracle you want, the greatest thing about my miracle thing is it's an ALC miracle. So that's your miracle from me. I'll even change how you spell. I got to get me one of these. I'm going to bring, next time I come back, one of of those suits there. And uh, anyway, you know, speaking of miracles, all joking aside, it it really is uh, deep within us that we desire to see something miraculous take place. Don't lie because it's true. You want it in your life. You want it in your marriage. You want it for your kids, maybe a job. And, And oftentimes... Let's be honest, I am, 
going to be very honest. We have, George said, we've been in Italy for many, many, many years, since 1978, working and begging and pleading and, and crying and fasting. And, and I don't want to sound very carnal, but Lord, you know, just one lousy miracle. That's all I'm asking for. And it's not even for me. I would like to see something miraculous happen around me, in our lives, in our ministry. And, and the strange thing is, with all good intentions that you have, uh, you raise your ear up to the heavens and it's just silence. And when he doesn't even show up. And this miracle never happens. It seems like it happens for someone else, but not for you or not for me. And we wonder, well, well now what? Well, why not? And, and what about me? And, and our attitude becomes that sort of like this kid in this video. Tell me if you've ever seen a scene like this at Safeway or Albertsons or whatever. Continue your shopping experience here at Safeway. Oh, have you ever seen that? Well, or maybe you see it's my kids. Or it, I want my miracle. And we stamp our feet, and we pound our hands, and we pray, or we do what we want to do. Give me my miracle. It's almost as if we're like in this... Uh, arm wrestling match with the omnipotent God. And we're in a tug of war. And I want a miracle. And you fill my basket with my candies. And I want it. And I want it now. And what the problem is then, it doesn't happen. And then frustration sets in. And then guess what? Uh, somewhat of a, of a retreat from this wonderful thing called the Christian life. It's no longer like the name of this great church here. It's no longer abundant life. It's just this life of frustration. And it seems like he's rejecting me. And it seems like he won't give me what I need so desperately. And in a bizarre kind of a way, he sort of warns us like years and years and years and years and years before Jesus, 800 years before Christ, in the book of Isaiah... He sort of warns us what he's going to do and not going to do. My thoughts in Isaiah 55 are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts in Isaiah 55. What he's saying, in essence, is you're, you're not going to contain me, understand me, or place me in your finite little realm of thoughts. 
I'm beyond that. I'm the out-of-box kind of God. You're not going to put me in your front pocket and control me. You're not going to dissect me from with your computer. You're not going to understand me with your reasoning. I'm beyond you. In fact, I'm beyond what you understand. Miracle. I'm an out-of-the-box, out-of-your-understanding type of God. And when my thoughts finally show up, you'll understand who I am. And in an amazing display of this type of logic, there is a really strange miracle in the book of John, chapter 9. And if you have your Bible, let me encourage you to open it to John chapter 9. I'm going to read just a few verses of it about that beggar who, in a most unexpected way, finds himself the recipient of a most unexpected miracle. And let me read. And maybe this event of 2,000 years ago will strike a chord in your heart tonight. You who say, where's my miracle? What about my marriage, my life, my finances, my kids, my health, or whatever? So here's Jesus in John 9. He walks along. And he saw a man blind from birth. Well, this, unfortunately, this, this is an irreversible condition. He's blind from birth, which means this didn't happen as an accident later on in life. It wasn't a, a gradual loss of sight from a disease. Uh, he didn't lose it through some problem of, of, of uh, work or something. He started out from the gates dead. I mean, he couldn't see. Well... So his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who, who sinned? They <laughs> figured that out. This man or his parents? He was born blind. And Jesus says, well, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But then he tries to, uh, I don't know, he, uh, tell them understand this. This happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. And then he says these wonderful words, while I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. Okay, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went, washed, came home, sing. So let's just look at a few things here. Here's this here's poor guy. He's never seen a color in his life. He was born that way. No man can help him, and there really is no cure for this situation that he's in. We also know that he's a beggar. His existence consists of sitting down there and picking up the crumbs of, of whoever is throwing whatever at his feet whether it's food or a few pieces of shekels of money or whatever. So we, we see this guy really in a hopeless situation. In America, I know you have this club called the 4-H Club. Is that right? I call this blind beggar part of the 4-F Club. His life report card, failure from birth. He failed with his family. His family, in verse 20 and 21, 
if you read it, when the Pharisees come and ask, what about this? this just, oh, no, no, hey, listen, wait, wait. Don't ask us. Ask him. They don't want to have anything to do with him. We don't want to get involved. Some people live that kind of life today. Parents completely disattached, and maybe you've never known love from your family. Well, this guy was that way. He failed with his friends. In verse 8 and 9, those who knew him, he said, hmm, the neighbors and those who had formerly seen him were begging and said, isn't this the man who, used, who tried to sit and beg? Some claim that it was he. Others say, no, it looks like... The, the, the ones who were by him constantly said, who is that guy? And maybe, you know, who knows, that's you at work, you at school, you with your friends. They, they know your name, but deep down here, who, uh, who are you? And you wonder where is intimacy and where is those bonds that you so desperately need? Fortune, are you kidding me? That poor guy was always in the longest line, the slowest line, and nothing was changing. He knew that the next day would be like the day prior, and therefore tomorrow and the next day, and it's just black, and it's hopeless, and it's tiring, and I can't get up in the morning, and I can't take it anymore. Maybe you felt that way. Why is someone else getting the best? Why is that other marriage better than mine? Why couldn't I have a wife like that? Why is my husband like this? What about my kids? Look at my health. Where is my fortunate Powerball winning in life? And it doesn't happen, and we fail in fortune. And finally, I think the worst is his future. There's no hope for this guy. No doctor's going to heal him. No job will make him become a success. He won't change his position or his status. And that's his future. As black as his life is inside his mind, that's his future. And, and there is nothing. And he fails in all things. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that's you. Well, I had no choice. My parents... Blind from birth, you say. I had no choice in my health. I had no, this is what I got. This is my life. This is my future. And it's somewhat like this beggar. We, we put our arms of our soul out and beg for something. A drop of love, understanding, someone to hug and know that it's me inside and I need this, but there's nothing really out there. And so we sit in this colorless existence begging for something that really doesn't come. And year after year after year, but deep in your heart you've prayed and, and you want this. I want to live, but in order to live, I need to see. That was the beggar's biggest problem. His problem wasn't a matter of, hmm, where should I sit? Uh, which place is the best place to get them? His problem wasn't that. It was visual. He couldn't see. There was nothing for him. And therefore, his whole, his whole life was conditioned upon this bleak, black, dark hole that he lived in. And 
I want to live though. And you pray and you hope and you fast and you weep and, and there's nothing. And you give up. And when you least expect it, guess who shows up in this man's life? So here comes Jesus. And in verse 5, he says these amazing words. And this blind beggar hears him. While I am in the world, Jesus says, this is who I am. This is really the substance of my being. I not only give life, I not only uh, give others sight, but I, in essence, am the light of this world. I, I give it this because I am that person. And you say, oh, are you kidding me? Uh, he can't. Well, he is, even in spite of your negation, he is light of the world. He can, even though you've already said he can't. You see, because this is who he is, really. Uh, this is his person. This is his being. And therefore, he tells this blind beggar, I am the light of the world. Now, you got to understand something. This is a blind beggar. He's been sitting there blind. So he really doesn't have any idea of who is in front of him, correct? He doesn't know. He doesn't, he's never seen a miracle. He's never followed Jesus around. He doesn't know who's really speaking in front of him. Or maybe not. Maybe he does. Uh, you know, they, have, uh, they tell people, scientists, when a person has some type of a physical disability, let's say whether it's sight or hearing or smell or something, they compensate for that, don't they? And they, they build up another sense. And, and I'm wondering, I know the Bible doesn't say that, it's just my imagination. I'm wondering when Jesus said, I am the light of the world... I'm wondering when he's sitting down, he's ooh, with his heightened sense of hearing, hearing. Oh, I know that voice. That's the same guy who said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the light of the world. Oh, that sounds like the guy who said, I am the resurrection and the life. That sounds like him. I am the light of the world. Oh, my goodness, that's. That sounds, that's the, that's the same guy who said, I am the bread of life. Could it be? Maybe he's thinking. And, and maybe, just maybe. Let's imagine just for a minute. The hands begin to touch his eyes. And, and maybe, because he's blind, you know, and maybe, maybe the nerve endings were very, very sensitive on his skin, and maybe he could sense, my, no one's ever touched me like that. Those are the hands of someone who is light. Maybe, and maybe his heart swelled with expectation because maybe he sensed the presence of God, maybe, 
And imagine this, this wonderful moment of great expectation and wonderful uh, sense of being in front of maybe it is him. And then with his heightened sense of hearing and with such fine acoustics, he hears something that is sort of unholy. He hears, Pooey! Jesus spits. It says it in the Bible. That's sort of an unholy thing, isn't it? Spitting right in front of him? It says it. Having said this, he spit on the ground. Pooey! Right in front of the guy. And then something, he hears something maybe even more disgusting. He's playing with that spit in the dirt and mixing it with the dirt. And he's hearing, and he said, what in the world, what's going on there? And then he feels that warm spit with the dirt, which is now mud on his eyes. What's taking place? What's happening? Now, let's just change places. Maybe it's you and me there. It's not that blind man anymore. Jesus, I've got my problems. I mean, I really do need a miracle. But don't humiliate me to that point. Don't reduce me to this level of an animal-like thing, if that's what you're doing. I've got my dignity. I don't need this miracle spitting on the ground, mud in my eyes. Who do you think you are? What kind of a miracle is this? I can do better than this. <laughs> I want a real miracle. And therefore, we get in this problem. Because oftentimes, we beg, we weep, we plead, we lose all kinds of hope because he didn't come through like we said he was supposed to. This is not the kind of miracle that we, we asked for. This is not it. This is spitting on the ground. This is mud in the eyes. It doesn't work like this. I want a real miracle. And so we are desperate for something. And in our desperateness, we think we've lost it all. And we think we're sinking and we're drowning and we have no idea that maybe it's not quite like we think it is. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my way. And so we're like this little kid who thinks he's going to drown. And there he is. And so help me, Lord, please. I can't take it. I'm drowning. I need you. Where are you? This is desperate. Where, have, where are you? You've got to say, you need, I need you. Because, uh, what? Oh, all right, well. That wasn't that bad after all. You've got to do something. Where are you? I'm losing it. Oh, oh I, I see. Hmm. 
Hmm. And here's this blind man, just like that. He has no idea who's talking. He, he, he knows he's, he needs help. But all of us, he understands something is taking place. Something is, and he doesn't fight it like that little kid. He doesn't make a different reality. He sits there and allows Jesus to put his hands on his eyes, rub this mud there, and he sits there quietly and accepts it. And then in verse 7, it's what I call a hyper-speed miracle. Let me read to you verse 7, which is really one of the quickest miracles of the Bible. Verse 7, basically, the last part of it said, the man went and washed and came back saying, man went and washed and came back saying, that's what it says. Went and washed and came back saying, you don't like those conditions that they put on the end of an insurance policy and stuff like that, and you hear these rental car agency, and around 14, that's how I think John is trying to write this. Went, wash, came back seeing. Went, wash, came back seeing. Went, wash, came back seeing. That's what happened. In a blink of an eye. He didn't argue with his master. He, he, he didn't say, oh, oh my goodness. Wait, wait, wait. You can't touch me there. I want the real miracle. I want you when you touch me there. That's what I want. Not there. I'm telling him what to do. I give him conditions. I tell him how the miracle needs to be. And no, I can't walk all the way down that Jesus go and go to that pool of Siloam. You go there. Not to the pool of Bethsaida. Not to, you go to that one. Ah, no, what do you mean talk? Why? I, yeah, I, my miracle, my candies, my, don't yeah, can't hold. Go to the pool. I want my miracle, and guess what? You do it my way. Well, this blind man in verse 7 went, washed, came back seeing. It all happened because he was humbly obedient to the word of the Lord. I think that's the secret of this whole passage. In humble obedience, he found freedom from blindness and hopelessness. That is an eternal principle. Always, for everyone, in every part of the world, in every nation. In humble obedience, he finds his freedom from blindness and slavery. He obeyed the word. And I'm thinking this was painful obedience. And I'm thinking that there are painful miracles that take place in our lives, but we see God working though. It must have been painful, maybe, on those tender eyes that had never opened before to maybe feel the pressure of his hands on his eyes. Maybe it was painful to feel the mud squashed in the eye. We don't know. Do you think it was painful as he got up? Oh, I got to get 
And I got to walk over there to that pool. And people are bumping him. Hey, watch it, buddy. And it was painful walking there. And maybe finding the water. And people pushed him out of the way because water was scarce. And, and maybe it was painful to place the water on his eyes. It was painful. He went, washed, came back seeing. And sometimes miracles are painful. I know a little bit about pain. You see, I, as soon as I finished my career in studies, seminary, Bible college, university, that was painful, but I did it. I'm going to serve you, Lord. You know, big deal. And then we get appointed to go to Naples, Italy. And my wife and I, we're not even married a year. And we were off to go to Naples, Italy. And that was 1970. It's a long time ago. And we were in Los Angeles International Airport, LAX, and not even married a year, having already been to so many churches, spoken so many places, and now we're in the airport. Now, my mom was there with all of my brothers and sisters and, and my wife's family was there. And, but I, uh, my mom uh, was a, sh was a short, short woman. Now, the only way I can describe my mother is, a, is if you compress Dave Prohl to about this height. <laughs> my mother was about this wide, but she was about this high. But her heart was, was, was bigger than this stage. She had seven kids and I was number three. And we grew up in a really tough area of Los Angeles, in Watts, in South Central L.A., and, it was, and I grew up bad. And then God changed my heart. And now her son, the one that she gave birth to, now is going to Italy as a servant of God. Didn't make any sense. <laughs> Didn't make any sense for any of my family. And, and I sort of think that my mother believed that we were just joking that we went all the way to the airport and then I was going to just spring a joke on her because I really wasn't going to go anywhere. We were going to stay home because kids don't leave their family, do they? And take everything away from the mother who so loved them? They don't do that. Well, in those days at LAX, you see uh, 1978, where well, any airport... You could almost walk into the airport. There were no controls or anything like that. I mean, into the, air, into the airline and no controls and anything. You could almost go out to the door. And so my family sort of walked us all the way over. There's a whole line of brothers and sisters and everything. And it, came, it was our ex. Uh, boarding, flight, uh, blah, blah, blah. And so greeted my mom and everybody else, brothers and sisters. And, and I still think up to that moment that she was sort of thinking this is a joke. And then we greeted her, and I grabbed my wife's hand, and we start walking to the entrance of the plane. And then I hear this wailing in the airport. Oh, my. No! Four years, I can't do it. No, you can't go. And my mom just broke down. And I was holding on to Dee's hand. I said, do not turn around. Just keep walking. Don't look. You know why? 
I think if I turned around, I would have stayed. I couldn't have seen my mom's heartbreak. And I got on the plane with my wife because what happened was sort of like a you know, chain reaction. Every, and then my brother and then my folks and, and her. And now all these people are weeping. And we get on the plane just, you know, we're broken. But I'm doing this for you. <laughs> you know, I'm doing this for God. Look what I'm doing. And then language school. And then this. And, then, and now I'm going to do these great expectations, great miracles that God will perform. And are you kidding me? We were in this dump right here. There, you can't even see it. That little, that little place right there. You can see how big it is. This gives you a better idea. Uh, that's, that's a car. That's four meters. A car is about four meters, right? And so that gives you an idea of how, how big the building was. And on a good Sunday when I gave out free mozzarella, you know, pizza and sausage, maybe 10 people would show up. And on a bad Sunday, you know, they'd come into that little door right there. And that little window right there, I'd open it up to let the air in. And on some Sundays, I'd open the door up. And we'd wait. And we'd close it. And I'd go home. And we weep. Not a soul. I gave it up for you. I deserve a miracle. One lousy miracle. For me, the great servant of God. And then, you know, time goes on. You understand scripture. And I see that verse. Hmm. This, this is happening, he said, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. I didn't know that God was cleaning my eyes to see and touching my heart to understand and bending me to his will. I didn't know that. I was begging for the miracle. Give me the candies. And then later I began to understand in humble obedience and trusting him, he would operate in my life first and foremost, not necessarily the things around me. It was only a matter of time after I learned this terrible lesson, painful miracle, that yes, we did see many, many extraordinary. I can't describe the miraculous conversions taking place. Mafia, bad people, good people, all kinds of people, establishing one of the largest churches in all of Italy, and then just some years later, opening up the second one, and in a little storefront, and as George said, a, a most miraculous purchase we, we just made, and this is what's going to open up on January 17th. Vita Abundante Chiesa di Melito. Abundant Life Church of Melito. An amazing thing. But that's not the amazing thing that God did, it took place in my heart first and foremost.
And then afterwards, things were adjusted. And this eternal principle, I think, still holds true for every single person here. When a person responds in obedience, even when, go ahead and put the even when what? Even when the marriage is falling apart, I respond in obedience. Even though I've been ripped off, even though I have problems with finances or alcohol or this or that, I respond in obedience, even when, even when I can't understand it, even when it doesn't make it, even when all my friends say no, even when culture tells me different. When I respond in obedience, that in the Bible is called an act of faith, all right? And in the Bible, every single act of faith is an act that is blessed by God. I want to be blessed by God more than receiving my miracle. I want you to be blessed by God more than anything else. Not necessarily a happy marriage, maybe, or finances, or kids, or family. That you may become a man or a woman blessed by God. But that requires an act of faith and that requires obedience. And oftentimes that obedience is painful. But God will honor your faith and make you that person you've always dreamt to become, but could not be without his power. Amen? amen. So in our church, when they don't say amen, I go on for a good 45 minutes longer. Amen? amen. See there, see the difference? Thank you, Lord, for each and every person we're struggling. It seems like an uphill battle. It seems like our team never wins. It seems like our line is always a longer line. It seems like our lane is the slowest. Our pocketbooks are the emptiest. Our health is the most frail. It just seems that way. And we beg and we plead and we weep we wail. We want our miracle. And all the while, you see what we're ha what's happening in our lives. And you've said it. I am the light. You will see. I want to do something in you, not around you, not even for you. This is in you. And it's hard to be broken, Lord, I know. It's hard to bend. It's hard to say yes. It's hard to obey. But in humble obedience, we find our true freedom. In humble obedience, we find our true being in you. This is the purpose of our lives. To call you Lord and Master. To get up. To wash. And to see. Because you said to, and therefore we obey you. And therefore, in humble obedience, we call you Lord. And even this day, we will obey. This is our desire. We pray this in your wonderful name, the name of Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world. Amen.